Thank you, Miller. It's so lovely. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Hope you had a good one. I've forgotten how sleepy turkey makes you. Um, I want to bring an exhortation this morning on uh, unleashing the power of kindness. Unleashing the power of kindness. Kindness is kind of the twin sister, we might say, of thanksgiving. But I'll be making four points. The first one is that kindness is at the core of who God is. Kindness is the, at the core of who God is. Secondly, kindness is a superpower. Kindness is a superpower. The third is that there are, though, a few beliefs that handcuff kindness. So we'll look at those. And then the last is to ask you to unleash kindness in a new way in your life. So let's pray that no matter what comes out of my mouth, you'll hear, you'll hear the Lord. Even if it's on an unrelated subject, you will, you will hear the Lord. So Father, we do give you this time right now. Thank you for leading me into this subject of kindness. I pray you would bless your people. I pray you would give us new insights from your word. And um, as I just mentioned, I pray that even if, no matter what words come out of my mouth or um, whatever is said, that your Holy Spirit would be moving powerfully and speaking to each individual heart. Lord, we just thank you so much for Susie's word and the songs that have been sung, your great love for us. How we are so thankful. And now we pray you bless us as we look at this subject of kindness. Amen. So kindness is an attribute of God. It is at the core of who he is. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, very familiar passage. We're just going to look at 4 through 7. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's almost... The way I read this is that his grace, which is action, sending Jesus Christ into the world to save us, his grace is embedded and resting and coming forth from his kindness. Like a piece of chicken in a bed of rice. You know, it's just, that bed there is just there. And um, Titus 3.4 says something, something very similar. You don't need to turn there, but, but let me read it to you. It says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. 
not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And then one last verse on this point is Exodus 34, verse 6. Exodus 34, verse 6. This is where uh, Moses is, uh, has cut out tablets for, a stone, uh, for the Ten Commandments for a second time, and God appears in a cloud, and he reveals his nature. He says this, Then the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. So kindness is at the core of who God is, and we're also called to kindness, aren't we? Um, Let me rattle through some verses here. In Romans 2.4, we're exhorted not to think lightly of the riches of his kindness that lead to repentance. In 1 Peter 2.3, it says, we who believe have tasted what? The kindness of the Lord. In Micah 6.8, we are told to to, uh, love kindness. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. In 1 Corinthians 13.4, the love chapter, we read, love is patient, love is kind. It's amazing how much the scriptures are filled with this exhortation to kindness. In 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, there's that stair step of virtues were to pursue uh, in order to become partakers of the divine nature. And the second step from the top is labeled brotherly kindness. Colossians 3.12, let me read that one to you. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's interesting to me that kindness is often paired with patience, or patience and kindness are listed very closely together. Uh, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so I think that's something to meditate on. Um, especially if you're impatient. Proverbs 3.3 says, Let not kindness and truth leave you. And then a really neat verse, Proverbs 19.22 says, What is desirable in a man is his kindness. And then one last verse is 2 Timothy 2. 24, and the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. The last time I spoke on kindness was in 2012, May of 2012, so 
a little over five years ago. And in that message, um, I had a section about the early church, because as I studied kindness back then, I noted that there were many preachers and citations about how the Greek word for Christ and the Greek word for kindness only are separated by one letter, Christos and Krestos, like crest toothpaste. And so the pagans of that time supposedly were a bit confused whether Christians were followers of Christ or followers of kindness. That's an inspiration to us. I was not able to find a primary source, however, on that. I want to speak again this morning on unleashing the power of kindness in our lives. And I believe what we'll see is that if we set our minds on this, we will change ourselves, we'll change the atmosphere around us, we'll change the people around us, and even our communities. So let's move on to point number two. Kindness is a superpower. I've been reading a book uh, by one of my favorite authors, Shanti Feldhahn. This one is called The Kindness Challenge, 30 Days to Improve Any Relationship. Uh, Shanti is a Harvard-trained researcher. You might remember her name. Uh, she wrote The Good News About Marriage, where she debunked the 45% divorce rate in our country. It's much more like 25 or 30%, and also the myth that divorce is just as high in the church. Um, I preached some time ago on that, about that. She also has written books on marriage, um, the, the, um, the Surprising Secrets of Highly Happy Couples, where she studies behavior, not what they say, but what they do, highly happy couples. But her most recent book is this kindness book, and um, she studied kindness for a decade before she wrote this book. So she's a Harvard-trained researcher. She's worked on Wall Street. She's worked for the U.S. government. She's a Christian. And I love it when science and the scriptures uh, agree. So this is going to be that kind of message. Um, on the first page of her introduction, she says this, the path to being happy starts with one choice, whether or not to be kind, especially when we really don't want to be. Let me read it again. The path to being happy starts with one choice, whether or not to be kind, especially when we really don't want to be. Here are some other selected quotes from her book. She said, There is one greater factor. Whether we thrive depends far more on how we choose to treat others than on how we ourselves are treated. That's a, that's a truth that we're going to get at quite deeply in a few moments. That's also on page one of the intro. On page three, she says, Kindness, above all other character traits, is particularly important for thriving in life, work, and relationships. 
she um, kind of on page 14, she talks about her 30-day kindness challenge. In other words, okay, so you decide to be kind, what do you do? And she said there's three areas to focus on. One is to say nothing negative about the person you're focused on or anyone for 30 days and say nothing negative about anyone to someone else. So in other words, nix the negative, she says. Number two is every day find one positive thing about that person that you can sincerely praise or affirm and tell them or tell someone else. And then the last challenge is every day do a small act of kindness or generosity for your person. She says, if you will do this, her sample size was 700 people. Of those 700, 89% reported that their target relationship improved. And about half of those said it improved dramatically. So that's, that's really interesting. Proverbs 25, 15 says, a soft tongue breaks the bone. A soft tongue breaks the bone. I equate that with kindness. I had a chance to see that at work in my own life uh, a couple of weeks ago. You guys know the saying, um, kill them with kindness, right? So uh, let me set the stage for you. Um, One of the battles that Laura and I have had over the years is she likes to go to sleep reading. And reading requires a light. And I like darkness and sometimes have trouble sleeping if there's light on, sometimes I don't. But I get especially anxious the night before elders meeting rolls around that week because we have to get up quite early, be here by quarter to six. And so two weeks ago or so, um, I was tired, so I went to bed at eight o'clock actually and um, slept till 11, and then Laura came in and um, got out her Kindle, which I, in her behalf, I want to say, I've given her mixed messages over the years. You know, sometimes it's okay to read her Kindle, other times, no, I need dark. Well, uh, she proceeded to read, and I proceeded to lie there for an hour, getting more and more anxious that I wasn't going to have enough sleep for the next day, and then starting to get angry. You know that feeling? That anxious, angry kind of thing. And so finally, I turned to her and I said, Laura, are you awake? Nothing. Well, that means she fell asleep. And uh, that was something we had dealt with years ago. I asked her to train herself not to fall asleep, and she's done a good job since then. But anyway, I blew up. So I threw the covers off, came over to her side of the bed, grabbed the Kindle out of her hand. She's dead asleep. And so she's like, oh, you know. And um, to her credit, again, she only said one or two things in her defense. But I was lying there now thinking, I know what the Lord does. And he softens me over the day. And so I was telling myself, Jim, stay strong. Don't apologize. You know, a little bit of little bit of guilt, you know, don't apologize, you know, stay strong. You know what the Lord's going to do. Well, I get up, it's 
you know, 5 in the morning, actually about 4.30, and I go out into the room, and here Laura had set out coffee for me, just so. She knows which brand I like for my first cup, which brand I like for my second cup. And then I went to pack my lunch, and here's a note in my lunch bag about how much she loves me and thinks I'm wonderful. And guess what came out of my mouth at that moment? Laura, you're killing me. So we can kill each other with kindness. As I read deeper into this book, uh, three powerful points came into my mind. And these are very biblical points. The first one is, what we focus on is what we become. What we focus on is what we become. When I was in seminary, I was taught that as a pastor or a preacher of a church, you get what you preach. In other words, if you preach holiness, your people will be holy. If you preach evangelism, your people will evangelize. If you preach the gifts of the Spirit, you'll see the gifts of the Spirit, and so on. Um, Listen to this quote on page 12. Feldhahn writes, After all, think about it. Let's say you are irritated with someone, your boss, husband, wife, mother-in-law, teenager. If you tell that person you're irritated and then you tell someone else you're irritated, are you going to be more or less irritated? She says that we think venting is good, but venting is actually building up steam. The answer is obvious. And yet, what if you're irritated but you don't talk about it? What if instead you set out every day to be kind to them um, and about them to find, for example, something positive or praiseworthy about that person? And then you tell them, and then you tell someone else, are you going to be more or less irritated? Also obvious. Yeah. So what we focus on is what we become. I thought of Philippians 4. Verse 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence or if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice. He says, practice these things. And the God of peace shall be with you. Another great quote is, of course, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Luke 11, where he says this, No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so those who come in may see the light. Your eye, what you focus on, is the light or lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, 
your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Feldhahn goes on to say, in other words, what we notice, see, and focus our eye upon is what will either illuminate our whole being or darken it. If what we see and say is full of light and kindness, we will be full of light and kindness. But if what we notice, see, and say is dark, dissatisfied, critical, sarcastic, irritated, suspicious, or angry, we ourselves will be all those things. We are charged to focus on the light, not the dark. So we, what we focus on is what we become. A second very evident principle from this book that is also very biblical, and that is we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. If we sow kindness, we reap kindness. This week, uh, Laura and I were at a doctor's appointment for her cancer doctor, or with her cancer doctor, and we were asking him about medical marijuana. You know, if that was legalized in Oklahoma, would that be any help to her? Because she can't, uh, she can't take any RA medicine for the pain because of other issues. And uh, he, he uh, said some really interesting things. He said, first of all, he said he has seen, the medical field has seen a tremendous upswing in people with dementia and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's in their 50s and 60s, early onset. And he's thoroughly convinced that that's from former drug use, including marijuana. Um, and he said, it'll take 20 years for the science to, to, to you know, prove this, but he, he had no doubt. He also said, in our modern world, you've got people without chemistry degrees mixing chemicals. And who knows what what they will do to your brain. So he said, no, I don't think that's a good answer. Um, we said something along the lines of, well, if you look on the internet, uh, there's all kinds of people who say, oh, it helped me so much. And he said, well, yeah, if you, if you get high, uh, you know, the pain's gone for a bit, but, but you don't know what it's doing to your brain. He's, but then he turned the conversation to, instead of focusing on what we couldn't do, he said, he said, let's focus on what you have, what we have. And then he went on to say, uh, in my language, he's from Pakistan, he said, in my language, we have a saying, thank God for what you have, and he will give you more. Sounds like scripture to me, doesn't it? Thank God for what you have, and he will give you more. We reap what we sow. Kindness is infectious, isn't it? It infects those around us. Instead of a communicable disease, it's a communicable medicine, a good infection. Focusing on kindness makes us happy. And like the Bible says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. We reap what we sow. 
and those around us become kind as well. And then one last point under kindness being a superpower, and this is the one I want to really make sure I have your attention for. This is kind of the central point that I want to make. Your behavior determines your feelings, not the other way around. Your behavior determines your feelings. In other words, feelings follow behavior. And we, we so often forget that. For example, um, a young person who is falling in love, uh, they experience what these, the um, psychological world calls, calls limerence, where you've got certain hormones flooding your system. And in that phase of love, um, behavior follows feelings. You're just so in love. You don't care if you eat. You don't care if you sleep. You just have to be with that person. You have that ooey-gooey feeling. Uh, I remember when I was dating Laura, on a whim one day, I ran from our college campus roughly a mile to the ice cream store, got her favorite ice cream, ran back another mile to her dorm and presented her this mess of an ice cream cone. And it was nothing. It was nothing to run. Jim Price is probably thinking, uh, I don't think Jim could run 10 feet these days. Uh, at least I'm thinking that, Jim. But um, so there, you know, when those hormones are cooking, behavior does follow feelings. But then your body shifts into something called mature love. Your, your body cannot maintain that hormone cocktail uh, for too long. Some researchers say 18 months is the max, others two years. But um, some of us may not feel it at all uh, in those days even. But uh, when we switch to mature love, we get a different set of hormones, a different recipe for the long haul. And in mature love, uh, uh, feelings follow behavior. Here's another quote for key finding again. If you want to be happy, you must pursue kindness. If you want the atmosphere around you to change, you must be kind. Here's a quote from page 40, where she talks about a friend of hers, an international speaker, very influential woman who had a difficult background. She says, a friend of mine comes from an unusually difficult background and yet has the best attitude. She's always laughing, encouraging others, and praying for people. And she has been elevated into the public eye and many positions of influential leadership in national initiatives because she is not only smart, capable, and funny, but she is also kind. Recently, I connected with her during a breakfast at a conference. We talked a bit about, a, a bit about this book, and then I asked, what is your secret? Why are you so kind and so happy? She didn't hesitate. She said, I often mentor younger women whose marriages are in trouble or whose lives or businesses are falling apart. I tell them to remember one thing and say it to themselves over and over. Obedience precedes emotion. What is God asking of you? Do it, even if you don't feel it, because then 
you will feel it later. Isn't that a good word? So feelings follow behavior. Shanti Feldhahn says in modern day language, this is fake it till you feel it. Fake it till you feel it. I meant to say that, um, you know, now that I am loving maturely, you know, I, like I said, I ran a mile one way, a mile the other way. Now if I'm three feet within the sink, from the sink, and Laura asks me for a drink of water, I'm like, you're kidding. Don't you have two legs? You know, kind of, you know, it's, so I don't know that I've made much progress, Bill. Our behavior determines our feelings. And not just ours, but those around us as well. Well, let's look at a few handcuffs to kindness. Some beliefs that cause us to shut down the kindness within us. The first one is this. You shouldn't thank people for what they are expected to do. I'm going beyond the book now. This is kind of... Some of this is my work. I think that belief really gets in the way and handcuffs kindness. You know, um, Jesus said, you know, that we, we should do our work for him and not expect thanks. But the scriptures also tell us to give thanks constantly. And so I, I think what the truth here is, is we're to go through life not expecting thanks, but we're also to go through life giving thanks. If a husband says to his wife, if he thanks her for how hard she works, it won't be long before she's looking for some way to thank him for how hard he works. It just cre- it's just the way it is. What you reap you, or what you sow, you reap. What you sow, you reap. So think about um, a teenager, for example, and their chores. Wouldn't it be revolutionary for a parent to say, thank you for doing your chores this week? You know, we, we don't think, number one, we don't think teenagers are people. <laughs> and, then, and then number two, we don't think to thank them for what they do. And yet when a teenager does their chores, the parent is grateful because, number one, I didn't have to get on them. And number two, they're they're telling me that that they feel being a part of this family is valuable. And I appreciate that. So this business of not thanking people for what they're expected to do can really get in the way. Handcuff number two is the thought that being kind is the same as being nice. Well, how are they different? Being uh, kind is different than being nice. Being nice is about avoiding conflict and maintaining a pleasant atmosphere, no matter what. Being kind is about the best interest of others. Again, let's see how... Feldhahn says that. She says, being kind is not the same thing as being nice, keeping the peace and not rocking the boat. 
Kindness cares about the best interest of others, and so it doesn't shy away from a challenge. Niceness, by contrast, may or may not be motivated by caring about the other person at a deep level. In fact, when niceness is our goal, we can easily avoid conflict because our priority is keeping a pleasant atmosphere rather than addressing issues that need attention. Isn't that good? Another handcuff is the belief that when we affirm someone, we're just pandering to them or manipulating them for some gain of our own. Well, I guess if that's your motive, that's what it is. But the scriptures speak of other motives. For example, Ephesians 5.29, or perhaps it's 4.29. Let's see. Ephesians 4.29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Isn't that a beautiful verse? And then Isaiah 50, verse 4, The Lord has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. So affirming people, praising people, is not about manipulating them or pandering to them if we approach it with the right motive, a godly motive. But then the granddaddy of them all, I think, the big belief that handcuffs kindness is the belief that I must have fair treatment. I must be treated fairly. And so if you ask something of me, well, then I get to ask something of you. And so on and so on and so on. And it ends up being a competition rather than a desire to just die to self and trust the Lord with the outcome. This was a powerful quote to me. I think it's the last one. She said, many of us instinctively try to make our lives better by insisting on fair treatment. While fairness is a great goal in some ways, insisting on it rarely makes us happier. In fact, ironically, the the reverse is true. Our lives and relationships will never be happy without kindness. And we can't be kind without being willing to give up our rights. We can't be kind without self-sacrifice. Well, thinking, what does the Bible have to say about that? What did Jesus have to say about that? He didn't call call us to fair treatment, did he? No. In fact, in uh, Luke 6, starting in verse 27, some selected verses, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who mistreat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, 
and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Will you unleash the power of kindness in your life in a new way? I want to ask you to dedicate yourself to kindness, knowing that it is a superpower. It's the core or a core of who God is. It's at the core. In Acts 27 and 28, you might remember that Paul was um, for 14 days at sea on his way to Rome. There was a huge storm. Paul was with 275 other uh, sailors on this particular ship. They had thrown everything overboard. They had cried out to God, and Paul was reassuring them that they, would, they wouldn't die, that he had a word from the Lord. And then the ship ran aground and broke up, and they floated on planks to the island of Malta. And there it was raining and cold, and the natives uh, built a fire for all the sailors and fed them, I presume, and, and uh, got them warm and fed and sheltered. Paul said, they showed us extraordinary kindness. And that's what I want to leave with you. May we be a people of extraordinary kindness. Extraordinary kindness. So I want to pray right now and um, just encourage you that if you're not happy in a relationship, if you're not happy in your home, if you're not happy with your life, there is something you can do about it. And that is, is you can determine to be kind. And it will change you. And it will change the atmosphere. It will change the people around you. And you'll have the satisfaction of also knowing that you are demonstrating something of the core of who God is. If you feel this message has been especially for you, I want to just let you know you could stand or stretch your hand to God, but uh, please join me as we pray together. Father, help us to determine to be kind, and especially when we don't want to be. Uh, when everything in us is being inconvenienced, our flesh is saying, no, 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 let us determine to be more like you, to demonstrate that fruit of the Spirit, to draw upon it the kindness of the Lord. We pray for husbands who may be harsh, fathers who may be harsh, wives who may be bitter, children who fight with their sisters and brothers. We pray, Lord, that kindness would permeate these homes that someone would decide within that home to sacrifice their rights and determine to be kind rather than insist on fairness. Father, we pray that we would be a people of extraordinary kindness, extraordinary kindness, because we have tasted the kindness of the Lord. We are, as it says in Micah, to love kindness. 
and kindness is at the core of who you are. So, Lord, help us to drink deeply of your Holy Spirit, to put our heads down, and to determine to be kind. And as we do so, Lord, may we be changed more into the image of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. And may those around us be changed and the atmosphere be changed and even our city and our state, Lord. We love you. Thank you for your word that always points the way. And uh, we are thankful to you, Lord, for our many blessings. Help us to reflect that, Lord, in how we treat those around us. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.